Good afternoon. It's 3pm in the afternoon and you're listening to St Andrews Radio. My name is Leah and I'm the host of Eco-Activist Journeys. I'm a third year SD&IR student here at the University of St Andrews. Um, a special welcome um, to all the listeners who may be tuning in for the first time. Um, you can also enter the buzz box on the Star Radio website um, to contribute to the discussion or ask any questions that you might have throughout the show and we'll try and answer them. Today, I am joined in the studio by Anna Crawford, who's the co-chair of the Greenpeace Canada Board. And um, yeah, just a little bit of background. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology, a Master of Science in Geography, and conducted her PhD research on the occurrence and deterioration of icebergs in the eastern Canadian Arctic um, at Charlton University in Ottawa. Um, since February last year, she's in St. Andrews as a postdoctoral um, research fellow as part of the University of St. Andrews Glaciology Group. Anna, thank you so much for coming today, and uh, we're really happy to have you. And uh, yeah, would you like to start off to tell us a bit about you and your environmental journey? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me, Leah. I really appreciate being here. Um, so you can tell from my accent probably that I'm not British. You know, I uh, grew up in the U.S. to Canadian parents, and um, I, that's um, important for my environmental story, I think, because they were both... Um, very aware of environmental issues while I was growing up. And because I had Canadian parents, you know, I had the ability uh, to hold two passports and go to Canada for my university. Um, so I was in Canada actually for quite a long time because I was in university for quite a long time. <laughs> and um, as you said, I, I moved here a year ago um, to, to continue working on glaciology. And so I'm a physical scientist, but I was became very interested in environmental issues, especially during my undergraduate degree, which was um, done in Thunder Bay, Ontario, in Canada. And during my undergrad, I completed a semester working for Greenpeace in San Francisco. They used to have a program there, um, and I so I spent a whole summer basically working in the Greenpeace office there and getting. Um, uh, introduced to all the different aspects of this very large, um, uh, complex organization. Mm -hmm. And that's really what started me off on this uh, environmental journey, which took me from, you know, working more or less as an intern mm -hmm. to uh, chairing the Greenpeace Canada board. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so. Do you, yeah maybe can you explain a little bit more mm -hmm. so about, like, maybe the history and the mission of Greenpeace? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Greenpeace is 50 years old or 49 years old, depending on who you talk to right now. So <laughs> it, uh, Greenpeace started in the 1970s. Um, it wasn't named Greenpeace at the start. It was uh, called the Don't Make a Wave Committee. And it, um, this is back um, in Vancouver, Canada. So it originated in Canada. And it was a small group of people who were looking to um, bring awareness to offshore nuclear testing off the coast of Alaska and bringing awareness to it and protesting, I guess, against it to, and its continuation. So that was this small group of people um, went out and um, did maybe, you know, one of the first nonviolent direct actions that Greenpeace is known for now. And from there, they took on many other campaigns, and then it just grew and grew, and not only grew, grew and grew in terms of its environmental focus, but also um, where they were located. Mm -hmm. So Greenpeace is now operating out of over 50 countries, 
and has millions of supporters worldwide. So it's kind of turned in from this little group to a massive yeah. organization um, looking at, at many different issues. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. the biggest um, global environmental um, organization, I think, now. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe you'd like to sp- like mm-hmm. explain a bit more about, like, what is it like working in mm-hmm. such a massive and big environmental mm-hmm. organization? You know, maybe what goes on behind the scenes? Yeah, oh, um, lots goes on behind the scenes. It's a it's a multi layered you know organization yeah. for sure. So we are the Greenpeace International. You can kind of think as maybe the umbrella mm. uh, of the or the center of the organization, and that's located in Amsterdam. So Greenpeace International actually has three hundred of its own mm-hmm. staff, and they're looking to coordinate um, the efforts of all of the national offices that exist mm. throughout the world. And so, for example, Greenpeace Canada would be one of these national offices. Mm. And the, so each national office has its own governance structure, mm. and that's you know the level that I'm currently working mm. in, and that's the board and its voting membership. And that same governance structure exists at Greenpeace International. And we're really looking at... Um, directing the our offices or the global organization in a high-level strategic manner. Mm-hmm. So that's the like behind-the-scenes work that I'm involved mm-hmm. in is the, the very high-level policy direction, strategic direction of our organization. And then we, as a board, um, discuss all of this very closely with our executive director. Mm-hmm. And she, um, at Greenpeace Canada, is responsible for then kind of taking that strategic direction mm. and implementing it, um, you know, uh, on the ground mm. with with staff at Greenpeace Canada. And that would happen at any r- national mm. office. Mm-hmm. So would you say, mm-hmm. like, do you have, like, a global strategic plan as well, or is it very much left to the certain regional offices mm. as well? No, that's a good question. Um, there is definitely a strategic plan at the global level, and then another one for each nation. Uh, national office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the global one um, is currently a 10-year strategic plan. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, I talk about this because it is interesting, um, kind of a change in direction that Greenpeace International took with this new framework or 10-year strategic direction. Um, we're really looking more at how our campaigns can be the most impactful in terms of uh, systemic changes mm-hmm. and looking more at how our campaigns can work directly at different power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, th- but that's very broad, right? Mm-hmm. Those are kind of, national offices can take that direction and then implement it in a way that works in their national mm-hmm. contexts. So they're probably different topic areas and campaigns that national office can focus on more. I yeah, think. exactly. But they still, even with those, um, those different topics, usually there is some direction at the global mm-hmm. hub um, about, let's say, oceans mm. or forests or climate change. And then, so the work of the national offices is hopefully contributing to that global direction on that topic. It just will look different at each uh, national level. Mm. And um, as an organization, mm-hmm. Greenpeace, is it, what is it like as an identity? Is it more, would you call it a charity? Or mm-hmm. like, how is it funded? Is obviously such a big organization. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, we are proudly independent, mm-hmm. I would say. So we are funded through donations. Uh, we don't take any funds from governments or corporations. And this really allows us to... Um, kind of push the needle 
during discussions, you know, during multi-party discussions, we can push for bold action and we can call out the, you know, the players or the parties that we believe need to be called out because of that independence. Mm-hmm. However, it's, um, you know, it, it does make uh, fundraising a bit stressful sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're really reliant on um, generous, the generosity, you know, of our supporters. Mm-hmm. And we're working hard now to make sure that our supporters feel like they're on the journey with us mm. and that we're giving kind of the power back to them through our campaigns and mm. giving more, um, allowing campaigns to be more directed by our supporters. So that's kind of an interesting change that Greenpeace is currently under. But it's, pr- it's pretty impressive, you know, that all mm-hmm. of it is kind of, in a way, also built by citizen and by citizen support mm-hmm. and, you know, such a global global organization it's completely you know funded through people who also just care about issues and about the environment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah but like let's look at like maybe different campaigns how do you like distribute like what can you have for like different campaigns or yeah how do you set up like maybe a plan or um, yeah Mm -hmm. strategy for that for strategy um well it, it starts really with those high-level strategic plans I was mentioning with mm. Greenpeace International is a 10-year plan with Greenpeace Canada for and all the other national offices. Um, there are only three-year strategic mm. plans. So we're, our campaigns are going to fit into the strategic mm. direction that we have, let's say, at the Greenpeace Canada board for the next three years. Mm. And at Greenpeace Canada, um, we have... Like, um, solidly said that climate change is the number one priority mm. so all is that of, just for canada or is it greenpeace in general um greenpeace in general is, in, is extremely focused on climate mm-hmm. change i'm not sure if there's been an official vote mm-hmm. you know on mm-hmm. this is our priority interest mm-hmm. but at greenpeace canada we actually have had a, a mm-hmm. kind of um, a vote of the board <laughs> to mm-hmm. um, to make that official and this has kind of shaped our campaigns because all of our campaigns need to be contributing to that climate change topic in some way, and we hope that they are. And uh, so that's the kind of the board level in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, how we can shape campaigns is that we can give that kind of direction, that climate change needs mm-hmm. to be the, a focus. And then staff will take that and manage um, different campaigns that, people may be more familiar with, like working mm-hmm. on uh, de- deforestation or working on keeping oil in the ground. or um, And those are managed by different teams and are often, you know, um, working on specific issues like protesting against the opening of a new oil sands mine in Alberta. But at the same time, we're looking to bring, um, kind of bring in the, the power dynamics that are involved. So we're not anymore trying to just stop one oil sands pipeline, but we're trying to use that um, to draw attention to the larger problem. And so that has meant that our campaigns have to have like a specific um, focus for the near term future, but also kind of impact the larger um, system, Mm -hmm. which is the longer term project. But it's been really interesting to try to create campaigns that can that do both mm. and we don't always know what the long-term you know outcome is yeah. or lo- what where we're going you know as a society so it's a we're we're taking risks yeah. but um yeah it depends it on what, what people want like what sort of in on people's minds in terms of campaign, campaigns i guess mm-hmm. probably 
see which direction that goes into then as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, it's been interesting seeing like what really grabs the attention, you know, of people, mm-hmm. and what, and it's interesting how to what topics they gravitate to, as well as trying to develop messages um, that speak to people about topics that we know are important mm-hmm. as well. You know, so. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. get, um, I was thinking, you know, of the name Greenpeace, mm-hmm. obviously there's the word mm-hmm. of green, uh, environment, but then there's also peace and then looking at, you know, what does Greenpeace define as like its mission and mm-hmm. in was, its name maybe as well. Um, yeah, so Greenpeace's mission is to basically use nonviolent direct action mm-hmm. and bearing witness on different um, environmental issues and promoting solutions to bring about a more green and peaceful future, mm-hmm. which sounds a bit corny, but <laughs> it is the essence of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the unique aspects of our work is that nonviolent direct action. Mm-hmm. So the NVDA, that's really what a lot of people think of when they, yeah. you know, when they think of Greenpeace is um, the banner drops mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. the protests and or blo- blockades. Um, Another aspect that might not be known so much, but that is a core part of our work, is the promotion of solutions. Mm. So um, whatever we are protesting or against, we are always promoting an alternative. Yeah. So we're not just the no people. We're the, <laughs> it can be done differently people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very yeah. important Exactly, as well. yeah. And the green and peaceful future part is interesting because I think most people right now think of us as an environmental green organization, not as much as the peace organization. Um, but we're, you know, discussing, this is always a topic of discussion, you know, like what um, other campaigns would we be involved in or other topics would we take on outside of the kind of core environmental ones? And yeah. we are very open, you know, to lending our expertise, I would say, or our resources yeah. to more um issues that would be categorized under the maybe the peace category. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think for that. me, when I've always mm-hmm. looked at the names, sort of, if you do some research on environmentalism and also on, on climate change and the climate crisis, obviously that's a huge threat to security and mm-hmm. to people and to to uh, to movement as well. And uh, yeah, in a way to peace mm-hmm. um, in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I've always like seen it because it's sort of promoting that sense of we need a, a new society that promote that is lives more sustainable and then has that you know as yeah. as a result becomes a more peaceful society li- that lives more in tune with. With yeah, the natural world. Absolutely. Yeah. And with, cli- you know, climate change ongoing, there's going to be more disruption to, you know, to the world in general. So um, they, they go hand in hand, like you're just saying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think um, there was something else with mm-hmm. the, um, with, yeah, with, I think as, as humans, you know, we mm-hmm. often tend to focus on a lot of what is wrong in the world and what needs to change and all of that. But maybe I think it might be nice to look at some of the things that Greenpeace has done and achieved over the last mm-hmm, mm-hmm. decade. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking about what the kind of key victories mm. of Greenpeace has been and or the key successes, and there are really hundreds of them through the individual campaigns, you know, especially as we've kind of grown um, across the whole world. And there's actually a Greenpeace Victories timeline, if anyone is interested yeah. in going on it. It's an interactive uh, map of, you know, our work over the past five decades. So please, you can just, you know, put mm. that into an online search and you, you would find it. And it really does show the range of issues that we've worked on 
And I found it quite inspiring yesterday mm-hmm. just to go back through and, and scroll um, and s- remind myself about how much change, you know, this organization and this work has brought about. Some of the um, key successes, you know, were ones that I, I, just, I had already mentioned mm-hmm. about how Greenpeace started um, with stopping nuclear testing mm-hmm. offshore of Alaska and elsewhere, um, also in the Pacific in the 70s. I think that was a huge start and showed the power that such a small group of people can have when they put themselves on the line and make the issues of concern, mm-hmm. issues of concern to a much greater population. And I was also thinking I could rattle off lots more successes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's been some very uh, moving ones in Canada in the past few years, um, and some that are close to my heart in terms of our Arctic mm-hmm. work. You know, but I think I was reflecting more on why Greenpeace is still actually having success after 50 years. Um, I think it's really because it's evolved so much since the 70s. Um, When it it used to be just a bunch of folks on a ship, you know, heading off to the coast of Alaska. But, you know, now I was saying it operates in more than 50 countries. And I think the reason that it's been able to evolve and have these successes is that um, and be relevant is be- because we're an organization that's willing to reflect on ourselves and reflect on our role and what's happening around us mm-hmm. and what our mission is and then change because of that um, reflection. And um, currently, this reflection has led to us evolving to work more in allyship mm-hmm. with other people, um, not being such the alpha in the room. Mm-hmm as we used to be. And I think that Greenpeace also wants, is trying to put the power and direction, as I've been mentioning, you know, to its supporters. Mm-hmm. So that's also a change from us being the center point, you know, and how we have worked for a long time. Um, Greenpeace also understands and takes responsibility for some great mistakes that we've made in the past uh, due to really being insensitive to the impacts of our campaigns on Indigenous peoples. And so, like, on that issue, we have apologized and developed policies on the rights of Indigenous peoples and now want to work more in allyship with these Indigenous groups. And we still understand that we're not perfect yet mm-hmm. and that we need to continue to evolve. And like I've been mentioning in terms of changes to campaigns, we are reflecting on how we can have a greater impact with our mm-hmm. campaigns. Um, on systems change and, pa- and changing power dynamics and choosing campaigns that are going to be- reduce the mo- most uh, carbon emissions mm-hmm. you know, out there as we prioritize climate change. So I know that's kind of a long answer to your question yeah. and a, a bit tangential, but um, I think that Greenpeace has had so many great successes and the reason it's still having them is due to its ability to reflect and change course. And it's a big ship to, mm, you know, to yeah. redirect. Yeah. So... Um, the willingness of the people inside, you know, to take on the, the efforts and realize that there need, are changes that need to be made and then yeah. make those changes reality is um, a big effort. And, yeah. I, yeah. and I, think, I think it's part of a reflection of what needs to happen on mm-hmm. a larger society scale as well, because looking at the climate crisis is very clear that we will have to change the way we live life and the way we're doing things. And there are going to be mistakes along the way, and it's just an imperfect world, mm-hmm. you know. I think it's it's so important to recognize, you know, that there are imperfections and there are faults and mistakes. 
but to sort of learn from them and, and to take that to take that forward. And I think that's, I guess, also what makes a uh, a group or an individual or an organisation strong because you're willing to take on the new challenges and the new changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's quite interesting as well because obviously throughout the last. Um, yes, there have been so many new environmental organizations mm-hmm. that have come up as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was wondering maybe, you know, how do you see yourself within the whole of like as different to those organizations and how do you like reflect that identity of who you are with a whole lot of new uh, like activist organizations, but also like environmental organizations and charities coming up mm-hmm. and looking mm-hmm. at similar issues? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're not the only, you know, NVDA uh, mm. environmental organization anymore and that's and that's great um, but we how, how do I want to start with this um, I think we understand Greenpeace understands mm. that it is not the only organization yeah. you know in the room anymore um, and we're actually just kind of part of an ecosystem of other environmental NGOs just other NGOs on that work on other topics and um, other allies kind of in the whole environmental movement. So um, given that, I think there are two things about Greenpeace and how it currently sees its role, you know, in the, in the environmental movement. Um, First, because of the independence part that I was talking about before and our history and experience in that whole ecosystem of the groups, um, Greenpeace can really push the needle um, during these multi-party discussions and they can pr- push for perhaps bolder action than other groups, you know, in this environmental movement, um, say around the use of single-use plastics and regulations that are necessary. If there's Greenpeace plus five other environmental NGOs plus some government officials, mm-hmm. we're able to kind of push the dial in terms of the demands on the table. And then hopefully the end of those negotiations is closer to that side of the spectrum than it would be if Greenpeace wasn't in the room. And then the second thing um, I would say right now is that Greenpeace, in terms of Greenpeace's role mm-hmm. in the environment, it, has, it goes back to that idea of us not being the alpha mm-hmm. in the room anymore. Um, so that's in terms of our allyship and collaborative work with other groups. Um, at one point 50 years ago, Greenpeace was like l- making waves because it had these really unique focus and t- tactics. And as I said, we're not alone in those, are having those anymore, which is great. But what we do have is a massive supporter base. Mm-hmm. We have decades of experience in grassroots activism. Mm-hmm. We have the expertise on staff with media work, you know, with legal work, with, um, and nonviolent direct action, among other topics. So what we can do now is share that experience, share the expertise, share the resources and the knowledge base that we have with other groups and with the movement in general um, so that we can kind of enable everybody to make the movement more powerful. So I think that's um, a really cool kind of also reflection of Greenpeace recently in terms of what its role is, Mm. you know, in this wider movement. Yeah, because it's, yeah. I think it's important. I mean, it's so great mm-hmm. that there's so many new and different organizations that are taking on different mm-hmm. roles because it shows just, yeah, I, I guess in the environmental movement, there are 
a lot of different you know aspects and a lot of more people who are getting involved and who are interested in it Absolutely. And, it, and it is about yeah. collaboration and finding mm-hmm. a role how can we actually all work together yeah and not just yep. against each other in yep. terms of campaigns actually just reuniting efforts yeah yeah and, uh, and yeah there's yeah, so many ngos important. out there um you know all with their different niche you know but mm-hmm. we need to cover you know the range of different issues as well as the ways of approaches to those issues um and I would say, you know, NGOs are often, you would think, are seen as maybe more outside the system. But, you know, people that are working inside the system are also very important. Mm-hmm. System, I mean, like government or within cor- corporations. And then NGOs on the outside. And then the range of different NGOs and how they work and who they work with, you know, um, all just leads to uh, hopefully more impactful change in the end. Yeah, thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing that. Yeah. I think I just want to ask as well if any listeners have um, any questions, um, yeah, for mm-hmm. Anna or about Greenpeace, then you can send them in via the buzz box, and um, yeah, we'll answer them. For now, we're going to take a short music break, mm-hmm. and uh, the song that Anna mm-hmm. um, chose for us today is called um, "Is an Elegy for the Arctic" by Ludovico and Audi. And it was performed in the Arctic and was actually organized by Greenpeace. So, yeah, maybe, Anna, you'd like to explain a little bit more about (laughs) about it and behind the... The behind the scenes. Um, uh, Well, this was a really nice, you know, not a typical Greenpeace action in terms of protest, but more of a bearing witness side of things that Greenpeace does by uh, taking this composer and setting him up on a floating platform that had been designed to look like an iceberg um, and placing him in a fjord um, in Svalbard, which is a, uh, an archipelago off the north coast of Norway, quite far off the coast of Norway. And so putting this person right in front of a, a glacier that was actually deteriorating mm. as he was playing. And you can actually hear kind of the crumbles mm. of the glacier in the music, um, if you, you, you can pick that out. And this was really about drawing the people's attention to the Arctic and its beauty and kind of hearing this kind of sad song about um, the Arctic changing um, through his yeah. work. I think I find it quite beautiful. Yeah, and I think yeah. for you it was mm-hmm. probably as well because you do a lot of Arctic Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I I used to work on icebergs, now I work on glaciers. Mm -hmm. And I think some of um, the best parts of my, you know, research have been my field work trips, you know, Mm -hmm. to the Arctic. I feel very privileged to have been able to go there multiple times. And I'm very attached to some of these landscapes Mm -hmm. that that are changing. And um, yeah, I, it's me, uh, you know, and I, one thing that the, um, the work this this com- composition doesn't quite do is bring in the, the human aspect mm-hmm. to people actually also living in the Arctic, which mm-hmm. I I think is complicated. You know about how to do that, but and that wasn't really the piece. But it, it, that's what I was thinking about watching it. I was like, um, it made me think that you know Greenpeace is really drawing in this one instance is drawing um, attention to the landscape, but not maybe the people that are also going to be affected mm-hmm. by the changing Arctic. But that doesn't take away from, I, I think, its beauty, you know, yeah. in the end. And, um, and the, the Arctic absolutely is changing. So yeah. I think it, it did, you know, do what it was set out to do. In yeah, terms it's yeah. quite special, actually, mm-hmm. that you sent the song to me because mm-hmm. I remember seeing it in uh, 2016 at my school. I think it was just after it come out uh, with a friend and discussing it as well. And I, it's just, it's simple, but it's, it's somehow really mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just... 
because like you said, you can you can hear like the iceberg and berg and the background mm-hmm. kind of breaking off as well, um, which which you'll um, hear in the, yeah, in the yeah, recording yeah, yeah, as yeah. well yeah. at the beginning. Um, and yeah, I would recommend to anyone who hasn't seen the actual video yes, as well yeah, to exactly. watch the video yeah, on YouTube yeah. because yeah. it's quite the a, setting is ex- yeah extraordinary. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. quite a yeah it's quite a powerful piece somehow to watch. But yeah, yeah let's listen to it, um, and yeah, we'll tune back in after. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to, um, yeah, The Energy for the Arctic by Lodovico um, Einaudi. Um, yeah, he's an Italian composer, I Correct. think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes um, I wanted to go a little bit into now for this section, what is, you know, the role of NGOs and NGOs like Greenpeace in the climate crisis. Um, and maybe, yeah, let's start with like, how, how do you think can grassroots activism bring know, systemic change on a larger scale, um, and what role do NGOs play in that? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, it's a really good question, first of all, I think, um, and it made me think a bit, and I personally feel that grassroots activism not only can like, bring about systemic change, but it's actually necessary for systemic change to be made in the end. Um, and I keep, I, I feel like I have two points to all of your answers. So again, I have two more <laughs> points um, about how grassroots activism um, can lead to systemic mm-hmm. change. And the first is that I see grassroots activism as being able to give leaders and decision makers um, in either government or industry, uh, giving them the social license to make certain decisions mm-hmm. that will bring on change. Um, sometimes I think it's just a little push or support from the public that is what is needed for kind of changes in course mm-hmm. to be made. So that's one way that grassroots activism um, can kind of lead to systemic change. But if changes in course aren't as easily made like that, mm-hmm. I see grassroots activism as being able to highlight the demands of groups of people. Mm-hmm. And I think of the indigenous and youth movements that we are seeing around the world right now, um, these groups are going to continue to draw attention to issues of human rights and the environment. And I think that drawing attention to these issues and then mobilizing individuals and spreading that mobilization kind of spatially mm-hmm. and continuing it um, will force systemic changes to come about because these leaders and decision makers mm-hmm. aren't going to be able to ignore the issues anymore. So yeah. that's what I was thinking about when you were asking about how grassroots activism mm. can lead to systemic change. Yeah, and you said yeah. you, that Greenpeace is now a lot focusing a lot more as well on like working together with indigenous communities mm-hmm. and trying to yeah, push for demands or try and implement changes. Yeah, so we're, we're working more in allyship with others mm-hmm. um, to make sure that um, you know, we're working in collaboration and we're, I think, strengthening our voices as well. And one other thing that Greenpeace is changing about is, which I've brought up a bit, is that we're working to kind of give our campaigns to our supporters. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that that can mean that it'll be taken further mm-hmm. and longer and in different ways that might be more impactful than we can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, um, because we, we don't always know how they're going to evolve and how they're going to be taken up. Mm-hmm. So it, that's been quite a... Um, like a journey so far in terms we we're, we're not 
at the end of it yet. Mm-hmm. We haven't quite figured out exactly um, how to, you know, kind of have a centralized point within our mm-hmm. offices and then give away our campaigns and make sh- and have them yeah. run. It's, um, but we have absolutely had success of um, kind of supporting movements that are underway that mm-hmm. are naturally progressing and if we can kind of lend a hand and mm-hmm. like I said kind of enable them more yeah. with our with our expertise and knowledge base um, that has definitely yeah. s- seen a lot of success maybe yeah. referring a little bit because I was mm-hmm. thinking obviously um, there's a lot happening in terms of the global youth movement and mm-hmm. the climate strikes and uh, I know Greenpeace probably have I've seen that you've also been involved with it but like mm-hmm. maybe you know, what's your, what have you seen your role in that? Right. Um, I think we have like put ourselves a hundred percent behind, you know, the climate strikes and the movements. And so in support Mm -hmm. in whatever way we can. And I know other environmental NGOs and NGOs in general, you know, are also doing the same kind of just supporting as much as possible, but not trying to, um, put our name on it or, you know, mm-hmm. but allow it to continue to grow in whatever natural way it's going to, and then feed in our support where, where it's most necessary. Mm-hmm. And different NGOs are going to bring in different um, resources or expertise that they mm-hmm. can lend um, to those movements at a given time. Yeah. And why yeah. would you say, you know, why do you think NGOs are so important at this point in time? At this point in time? Um, I think NGOs, um, you know, are a step removed from industry and government. Mm -hmm. So you really need to have NGOs um, to give voice to issues that may not be of great value um, at the forefront for a certain government or a certain corporation or industry. So I think NGOs are able to kind of um, give voice to those issues or to or help the people that believe in those issues um, um, all of voice you know, and make sure that these issues are brought forward and, and worked on. And I also think NGOs, um, not all of them operate in this way, mm-hmm. but many of them operate in a way that give the public a chance to be involved mm-hmm. um, in a particular topic, you know, or an issue. And it doesn't have to be in a protest way, but, mm-hmm. you know, lots of different ways to be active. And I don't think that government or industry are mm-hmm. kind of the other pillars I think of, you know, it's as easy for the public to be kind of involved mm-hmm. in them. Yeah. yeah so. Maybe I think it would be quite interesting to discuss for in your personal journey, because mm-hmm. obviously you've done a lot of research and other mm-hmm, things, mm-hmm. but then you've also been very involved with Greenpeace, and yeah. how have you kind of linked the two? Right, well, th- um, the reason I was brought on the board was because of the mm. the the uh, more academic research side of things mm. that I do. So um, I was brought on the board in 2015 mm. on Greenpeace Canada because I was relatively youthful compared to most board members, uh, as well as um, the more important thing being my environmental science mm. background. And the Arctic was a large um, interest point for Greenpeace at that point in time. So me having a specialization in the Arctic, you know, was just an even yeah. um, better be- or benefit, you know, for the, yeah. for the board at that time. And I have... Um, been working quite a lot with Greenpeace Canada 
kind of working on science and technology topics. And I was also the um, representative of Greenpeace Canada to the international board for mm-hmm. a long time, uh, for well, a couple of years, not a long time. Um, and so that, that's, in that role, I was a trustee, and I was also kind of promoting these science mm-hmm. and technology issues. Have you, yeah, have mm-hmm. you ever been able to mm-hmm. maybe bring in some of your research into, mm. into what you're doing or into yeah. some of the Greenpeace campaigns? Um, I, the way I brought in my research is through discussions with staff. I think mm-hmm. I'm more of an informant as a role as an informant mm. <laughs> I, mm. I've given um, presentations you know to the staff at Greenpeace Canada on my work in both of in the Arctic and Antarctic and how that's changing um, those landscapes are changing and how they are relevant you know to society those changes and I've also been in more close discussions with certain staff that are interested in Arctic mm. work you know so I can give that you know kind of brainstorm with them together about you know um, what future campaigns might look mm. like and what sensitivities there might be and what important physical science you know um, okay. is occurring um, and then I've really happily seen some kind of changes on the um, kind of science and technology front I think mm. since I've been there uh, Greenpeace International and some other Greenpeace like national offices are hiring staff that are specifically going to look at aspects of technology, mm-hmm. both in terms of improving our our IT systems, <laughs> but also how can we use technology in our work to make it more impactful, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm very curious about. And then on the science front, it's not like it's not pure science or like my how my my research mm-hmm. on Arctic stuff is um, being incorporated, but more my eye on how we are talking about issues and how we do that in a very um, accurate way, I guess. You know, there's, um, uh, it's not to say that we're ever, you know, trying not to be accurate, but there's a pull sometimes to use very emotional language, you know, mm, and, yeah. um, uh, and, you know, I think lots and lots of NGOs, you know, are, can be criticized for using kind of alarmist language. And I think that's been critiqued for a long time. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's difficult because, you know, some of the topics are just, you know, they are in, emotional in a way. And yeah, yeah. As humans, yeah. we are also emotional creatures. But yeah. then you have to think about, you know, how are you going to bring forward the facts yeah. in terms of it being facts? Absolutely. You know? Well, yeah. So ha- just yeah, yeah. how do you craft your message yeah, yeah. so that you're doing both yeah. things at once, yeah. I think? that um, And it was a great learning experience for myself as well because I was learning, you know, about how, you know, the emotional appeal mm. is very important um, to our work as well. And I think we've re- we have hit a sweet spot, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of figuring out um, how to develop those communications. Uh, and it's still it's still working on it, but I'm really really happy with how it's been taken up. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's it's a bit of a um, it's an interesting thought puzzle for us and for staff just uh, you yeah. know how to do it well. And I like that everybody is kind of taking like kind of a philosophical thought approach to it mm. and really critiquing it and then looking at it, how it affects our work. Mm. Um, and so that's one way that I have been able to kind of bring my background as a scientist mm. um, to the organization yeah. and, and help, hopefully help it, you know, yeah. in its further mission. So yeah. what would you say, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you think has been the most rewarding part of being part of Greenpeace? Mm. Um, well, I would say every Every board meeting that I have, I am just um, kind of bolstered in terms of you know the knowing that there's so many other people out there that are putting in so much effort to the mission 
I guess, you know, and, and, and working towards something better. And that's always so impressive to me, you know. And um, I've seen being on the board, I, you know, I also see kind of like the meager financial resources that we have. And it's kind of funny. I'll be at a board meeting and I'll see the financials and I'll see the management report, which just gives us kind of um, an overview of some of the amazing successes that have been had over the past quarter. And it's so cool to, for me to see how much the staff can deliver mm-hmm. on so such low amounts of resources. Mm-hmm. So it's really amazing for me to be able to see kind of the passion of the staff and what they're, you know, what mm-hmm. they're able to do. I think that's one of the greatest things I've seen. That, the question was how, <laughs> what I see with them, the, the rewarding part of Greenpeace. Yeah. I think that might be um, a large part of it. And then um, seeing the, ref- like I was discussing the reflection part of things before, you know, mm-hmm. I um, seeing a, an organization know that change, like identify changes that need to be made mm-hmm. and then seeing those through has been really rewarding for me to, to see. Um, I don't see many um, like internal issues at Greenpeace being um, not being worked on or mm. not being, you know, I, nothing's like hanging around. People are action-oriented mm. and make the changes that are needed. And I don't think that's always the case, you know. Yeah. In, so um, that's been really rewarding as well. And then Greenpeace, at least especially Greenpeace Canada's um, new work in Canada with, um, at the community level, mm. you know, which isn't a level that we've always worked at, mm. you know, cause Greenpeace has kind of seen itself in the past as something that takes on more national, international issues and not the mm. local issues, but working more with the communities and seeing, um, real kind of on the ground impacts yeah. from those, um, has, has been especially rewarding. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's it's powerful, especially if you have and you know that there are other people who are really doing something you're caring. Um, as an activist as well, you know, I mm-hmm. think it's important to be part of some sort of group or other, at least group of like-minded people, other people who are also really passionate or working on something and mm-hmm. and are putting, you know, their heart into mm-hmm. a mission of working for it. So, uh, it's, so I think... Yeah. It's just a positive feedback yeah. mechanism too. And, we, um, you know, it's for more and more good work. But we were also talking about, like, offline here, we were talking about kind of the, the anxiety and grief that can come along mm-hmm. with working on a lot of environmental and climate issues right now. So I think community is, is extremely important. Just also mm-hmm. for support because mm-hmm. it's not always easy and things don't always yeah. work out. And there is also a lot of anxiety and a lot of, yeah, frustration with yeah. what's happening in yeah. the world, I, I think. That's important to look at. Yeah. Uh, and also celebrating our successes, I yeah. think, is a big part. I think sometimes at Greenpeace, successes take so long to get to, you know, years and mm. years for campaigns to run. Um, and then once the success is there, we're ar- you're already on to the next thing, or it's been yeah. in the works for a, long, for a while. So one thing that uh, one of my fellow board members, I, I commend her for is that she always kind of comes back to su- the successes and you know tells the, s- the directors or the staff like make sure you're you know acknowledging this this really great um success or victory campaign victory that yeah. you've had and i think yeah, yeah that's also important yeah. to communicate yeah. to everyone yeah. and to support us as well because you know people want to know you know what's mm-hmm. what's actually been happening good and how how things are being implemented because i mean everywhere like in the news and and there yeah. are still so many things that are just needs to be worked on right yeah yeah but it's also important to reflect a bit back and to to say you know we have achieved things and 
it's not all bad, you know. Yeah. And uh, yes, bit by bit, you know, it's about moving forward. Yeah, so. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Anna. Yes. Before we approach the end of yeah. the show, I really wanted to um, share one more song. Yeah. And discuss it a little bit with uh-huh. you. Um, uh, it's called, um, and also the listeners, it's called The Seed. And it's by a Norwegian uh, singer-songwriter, Aurora. And I think it was also inspired by like the youth climate strikes and the growth of the environmental movement uh, last year, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, especially because I think mm-hmm. we need more songs and, and more art that speaks mm-hmm. about earth and about activism. Um, so I was quite excited when I heard mm-hmm. it for mm-hmm. the first time. Uh, yeah, And it's based on a Native American proverb, actually, which goes as follows. Uh, when the last tree has been cut down, the last fish caught, the last river poisoned, only then will we realize we cannot eat money. And I think it's very good at expressing some of like the anger and the emotions and the frustrations behind what's being done and transforming that into art and into passion and into movement that maybe inspires people as well mm-hmm, and inspires mm-hmm. people to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I really just wanted to share it. Oh, that's great. Um, and, yeah, we'll listen to it now. Yes. Um, speaking about creativity and activism, um, yeah, I think it's just so important, you know, to like I was saying just now off, um, yeah, when we were off air, um, it's so important to incorporate like the different voices and different talents into the environmental movement because it's not just academic and it's not just activists. It's, you know, everyone can say and do things a little bit differently um, and use that sort of voice. Um, yeah, and, and on that topic, I quickly wanted to mention um, that... Um, that I published um, a book over the holidays and it's called Dear Earth, which is a poetry collection. And I actually already spoke about it a little bit on here before on the radio, sh- in, on my last radio show in 2019, just before Christmas. Uh, and I've also posted a podcast recording about that on um, on my podcast and on Spotify. So if you haven't heard it, you can find it on there. Um, and I wanted to share one, one poem today with you, which is called um, Dear Dolphins, um, which I realized when I read over it again um, that, it's actually linked to Aurora's song, The Seed, as well, uh, in, a, in a way. Um, yeah, maybe you can draw the link towards um, the end of the mm-hmm. poem. Um, and it, which is a coincidence, of course, because I wrote the poem way before I, I heard her song. But I, I just wanted to share it because I think, um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think that was really special to see. And it's also um, very much, the poem's also very much linked to the start of my activism, my activist movement, and how it all started. Um, so, yeah. Um, just before I do that, uh, I want to give a quick background. Um, the book is not for profit, and all profits go to environmental charities and organisations. Um, two weeks ago, I was it two weeks, two maybe a little bit more than two weeks now. I sent my first uh, um, hundred dollar profit to um, Amazon Frontiers for the pressure of the Amazon rainforest. And in the future, for the next bigger sale, I also really hope to support Greenpeace and Aww. support the Greenpeace campaign. <laughs> so I really this is want a to surprise. That. That's really nice. Yeah. Thank you so much. So I want to announce Aww. that as well. Um, awesome. Yeah, to preserve like the Arctic, the, Arctic, the oceans, mm-hmm. the rainforest, you know, all the things mm-hmm. that are just to love on Earth. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I have quite a strong emotional connection to this poem as well. So um, yeah, I hope it, it speaks to you. Dear dolphins, my whole life I've wanted to see one of you in the wild. I dreamt of swimming of you in the ocean, watching you play in the waves, watching you jump into the air in joy, watching you be at one with Mother Nature. I wonder what you think of us humans. We must be a strange animal to coexist on Earth with. Brutal and cruel as we slaughter fish and pollute the oceans. Strange as we cross the oceans in big smelly boats, 
helpless when storms and ocean waves overpower us, joyful when we see you. You know, when I was 13 years old, I read a story about a girl in Japan called Yuriko, who became friends with a dolphin. But as the whole school of dolphins came into the bay, the fishes got angry. They said that you dolphins were eating away their fish. She tried to speak reason to the villagers. She tried to save the dolphins. But they slaughtered them all. The sand turned red with blood. She threw herself in front of the dolphins. She begged them. She cried. But they killed her dolphin, her dolphin friends anyway. I lay in bed that, that night and cried and cried. I felt so small, so weak, so frustrated. I can still remember how hot my tears and face felt after that night. I could not comprehend how humans could be so cruel. Why would we hate and choose cruelty when love comes so much more naturally? Oh, dear dolphins, I wish we could speak with each other. I long to tell you that there are people out there who really want to do good. But nonetheless, we are a selfish species. Maybe you could teach us something about how you live and love, how you roam the ocean so freely and take care of each other and your surroundings, how you stay positive in such a desperate world. In that sad night, when I was 13 years old, I cried so much for you, and I've never even seen you in person. I would do the same as you, Rico. I would have tried to save you at all costs. That night, when I finished the book, I felt like we both had failed. But yet, something with bo was born within me that night. A seed was planted. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's... That's a poem. Um, yeah. Um, That's beautiful. And so I think the connection is fairly apparent, <laughs> you know, between that and the, yeah. and the music. And um, as we were saying, we, the proverb that we can't remember, you know, does talk about, you know, if you can, you know, if you can write, write about it. If you can, you know, sing, sing about it. There's just so many different ways to yeah. be involved in these issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one message people can take, yeah. you know, is that there's so many different ways and we need them all. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if you, listeners, if you want to find out more about my book or get yourself a copy, you can check out on my website, eco-activist.co.za, or contact me via social media or Instagram, um, ecoactivist.lia. Um, shoot me a message if you'd like a copy or if you'd like to know more. Um, I'll also be hosting a book launch in St. Andrews in about a month, which is very exciting, so stay tuned for further news. Um, Anna, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming oh. and joining me on the show today. Um, and, um, yeah, thank you to the listeners for tuning in to Star Radio. Hope you enjoyed it, and you'll join me for my next um, show Friday uh, from 3 to 4 p.m. I have some really exciting shows planned for this semester. With, um, so, yeah, don't miss out. And if you want to check out my previous radio show recordings um, or smaller podcasts, you can look up Ecoactivist Journeys on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or um, any other media podcast media outlet. Um, yeah, I want to wish you all a beautiful Friday. Um, be kind uh, and yeah and the theme of Valentine's Day the last song that I'm going to play is called Love Song to the Earth oh. by Paul McCartney <laughs> well done um, yeah but 
Hope you have a wonderful weekend.